As we come to our text this morning in our continued exposition of the gospel according to John, we have come to this passage beginning in verse 33, and I've entitled it this morning, as you can see from your bulletin, The Civil Trial Begins. But I took it a step further because while it is technically the civil trial of the Lord Jesus Christ, you notice that I also entitled it Pilate's Opportunity. And I'll say this just in a general way this morning. As we go through life, regardless of our age, there are certain points in our lives in which opportunities for different things come up. And in many cases, it is the only opportunity. There are other situations where we may be given a second or a third chance, but there are some situations that we come to a crucial time in our life in which decisions are to be made and you cannot go back. You, this is it. This is the only opportunity that you're going to get. And in effect, that is in the hands of Pilate at this stage. There's a tremendous opportunity for him, as you will see as I go on this morning, and as you are well aware, because of history, Pilate was not successful in handling the opportunity that was before him. As far as the setting, when we come to verse 33, having proceeded from the prior verses, to put it in perspective, we are after 6 a.m. Jesus Christ has been up all night. He is physically exhausted. He was in Gethsemane praying, you'll remember. He was arrested. After his arrest, he has already been brought through the religious trial. We have followed that through scripture. Totally illegal. Totally misrepresented. He was physically beaten long before the scourging that's going to take place after this. He's already been physically beaten illegally. He's been brought by the Sanhedrin now to Pilate. Pontius Pilate, the governor at the time. In the meantime, we have seen and studied in our passage of chapter 18 that Peter himself has denied the Lord three times. He was told that he would, and he did follow through and deny the Lord three times. Then he wept bitterly and repented of that. But still at this time, a moment in time, by 6 a.m., he is absolutely crushed in his spirit, thinking that his ministry is all done. We already learned and studied that. That is not the case. And we dealt with the fact that every one of us as human beings fail. We all do. And there is still opportunity, as there was, for Peter. Unlike Judas, Peter was different. He repented and was then used mightily of the Lord because he learned and repented from what he had done. The religious leaders at this stage had failed to properly convict Jesus Christ. They couldn't come up with any conviction. They failed to present an adequate case even to Pilate about why this should happen. They were expecting the death sentence for Jesus Christ by the, on Jesus Christ by the Roman government even though, if you look back to verses 29 to 32 for just a second, even Pilate said in verse 29, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they couldn't come up with one. They could not come up with an accusation against him. So they really had no grounds for bringing him to this trial. We find them in verse 33, as we did. You'll notice in verse 28, and again in verse 33, as we have in our context now, we find Pilate in the Praetorium. Now, what in the world is that? It was a temporary residence for the governor. Very simple. Uh, not much different from what we would find today, 
where there are temporary residents. In fact, even the White House, as we know we're going into an election year, the White House is a temporary residence for the president. He has his personal residence and there's other places that he goes and so forth. Well, back in this time, in Bible days and so forth, the governor had a temporary residence and it was usually in Caesarea. But we find it that it's here in Jerusalem at the time and we're not exactly sure, there's been guesses on it, as to what building it was in. That's irrelevant. He's in the place of the governor's residence and he was there, why? He came for the holy days. The governor came in just like there would be certain celebrations in cities or towns or for the president of the United States. When there's certain celebrations, he goes to Washington and he's there for those events. In the time of Rome, he was there for two reasons. One, for political approval, no different from today. He was there so he'd be recognized that he's, you know, was associating with their holy days and their, their things that were going on so the people would look favorably on him. But his primary reason being there was that his presence would discourage rebellion. His presence would discourage riots from happening. And Rome would not put up with that. And so he was in there because thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, would come to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. So he's there and he's in his governor's residence. And after the religious trials, they take the Lord Jesus Christ because they couldn't get anywhere. They take the Lord Jesus Christ to Pilate's personal residence to turn him over. Now, why would they do that? Well, we'll see that in a second. And as I said to you, I want you to see this. This becomes Pilate's opportunity. Opportunity for what? Well, number one, as you will see this morning, it'll become an opportunity for him to release an innocent man, which he will fail to do. There's an opportunity, and we see it in these verses, even as you come down to verse 38, where he says, I don't find guilt in him. There is no reason for a crucifixion of this man. So he has the power and he has the opportunity to release him. Boy, how we get pressured by people and what they think of us or will think of us. That is happening all the time in our lives. And here is a cowardice man who has the power to release someone that's innocent and he won't do it because he's concerned what other people think around him. More importantly, this is an opportunity for Pilate. I want you to listen to this. This is an opportunity for Pilate who is being confronted with the Messiah and this is it. This is his opportunity. There are those who in this lifetime, now it's changing because of the technology we have today and because of our worldwide communication, which is available, what's changing? We used to ask the question, what about the person in Africa? We don't ask that anymore because even in Africa, there's big buildings and there's technology that's reached most of the places. But the question used to come up, what about those people in Africa that have never heard the gospel? You mean they're going to hell? Well, this is an opportunity for you to see, by the way, with our technology and the availability, the word of God has gone throughout the world, folks. Just be aware of that, not only that, we know from scripture and we know by observation and experience as a human being that there is no place on this planet or off this planet that you can go without observing creation, without observing that which shows us the magnitude of 
our limited life and the need for a supreme being. It is obvious to anyone with half an eye open. But we'll come back to that. So what about this opportunity? Here is the opportunity. Did Pilate ever have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ and to be presented with Jesus Christ? Yes. And he only had one. And I know you've heard this story before, but it's so vivid, most of you have heard it, in my mind, I will never forget it, when we were in uh, North Andover and we were working on digging in the pit, I will never forget the situation where a young man came and he was invited from people from Drake to come and to help out and he was presented with the gospel that day and I'll never forget his words. His words were to let me just enjoy the summer, I will come back and talk to you about God then. That was his last day on the earth. He went to Salisbury Beach that night, Hampton Beach, and he died. And what his, he didn't know that that was it. This is your opportunity. There was not going to be another one. And that's what you have with Pilate. This is it. Don't you ever think that there may be something later, because the youngest to the oldest, this could be your last day. And Pilate was presented also with the Messiah. Often we wonder. And what happens is we're going to see, it's interesting that he asks the question, what is truth? Because Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear that what happens with man is man doesn't want the truth. He suppresses it. He doesn't want it. And I'll turn back to that passage later on. So he finds himself face to face, literally, with the king of kings and is going to actually condemn that man to death. But as we go through the text, let me follow the outline that I've given you so you can follow a little bit with the text. In verses 33 to 35, we do have the king before him. What was Pilate's real concern? Here it is, he's in the praetorium, he's in his residence, and he enters there again, and he's going to summon Jesus. But why? What led up to this? What happened? Pilate was concerned what? Uh, he was concerned about a riot. Um, they, in general, Pilate was concerned that there would be an uproar against that. And if he's going to be sentencing a man to death, it's going to be involved with a crucifixion. And as far as the religious leaders are concerned, they couldn't prove him guilty, but they had no power. Remember that. Look at verse 31. They had no power to put a man to death, especially by crucifixion. So they must show some way that Jesus is a threat to Rome. If they can't show that Jesus is a threat to Rome, Pilate's got no means or basis for crucifying this man. The religious leaders have no substance. They have approached Jesus, and they have approached now Pilate with what? The concept of him being a rebellious king against Rome. To see that, keep your finger, we're coming right back here. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. This is why Pilate asked this question. You know, what is going to lead to him asking this about being a king and so forth? Well, as we compare the synoptic gospels and we look, we find the explanation. In Luke 23, the verses 1 and 2, 
It says, then the whole body of them, that is the Sanhedrin that we've been studying, got up and brought him before Pilate. Now watch verse 2. They remember, remember now, they couldn't find anything wrong. But here's what they are saying. They began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, and that word means Messiah. That word means the anointed one. And then he says this, a king. So this is why they're bringing him to Pilate. They've got to have something so Pilate can make a judgment. And they, by the way, are falsely accusing him. Notice what they said, forbidding him to pay taxes. They could never find that in the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, he taught just the opposite. And many who don't even have the scriptures or pay attention and read the scriptures and so forth know that. Why? You're probably familiar with the story. Someone came one day to Jesus with a coin. They were trying to test him, and he said, what do I do with this? And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In other words, pay your taxes. That's no different today. Not too encouraging right now when we're almost into March and April 15th is coming around the corner. But that is the right word, pay your taxes. Now, whether we're overtaxed or something, I'll leave that to you and whatever. That's another issue for another day. The fact of the matter is Jesus Christ was not teaching don't pay your taxes. He was not teaching anything rebellious against the, the king because he certainly said honor the king. And he had taught this. This was a lie. But they needed some basis. That is why back in John chapter 18, Pilate is going to raise this question because they had to go to him with something, and they are saying that he has made himself out to be a king. And this is found in all four gospel accounts, by the way, and that's what leads to the question that is brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where verse 33 is now in our text. So they have come to him with this, and he asked this question, are you the king of the Jews? The Sanhedrin had brought this to them. Well, in the English, that doesn't look like much. But when we look a little closer at the original language and so forth, it helps us to understand really what Pilate is saying, and I hope you'll appreciate really what's going on. When Pilate, in verse 33, says, are you king of the Jews, it is the word you in our English that's in the primary position. Now, what does that mean? Here is the tone of what Pilate said. Are you the king of the Jews? That's what he's saying. Why? In that position, it's an emphatic position, meaning this. He is surprised. He himself is in disbelief. That's what it means. He's looking at him. Why would you think that Pilate would look at Jesus Christ and say, are you kidding me? You're the king of the Jews? And that's the tone here. Why? What would happen if you saw a king? What does a king normally look like? A warrior. Does he not? He's someone who leads with might. He's someone who may be strong of stature or certainly someone that has an army behind him, right? Even if he's not this strong character with his big physique and so forth, he certainly is going to be surrounded by an army. That's what a king looks like. A king just doesn't walk the streets with nobody behind him supporting him. And here it is that these people are bringing this man all by himself, 
And Pilate's looking at him, and they're accusing him as being a king. And he says, you're the king of the Jews? His appearance doesn't look like a king. And not only that, where are your followers? Where's your army? Can you imagine Caesar going out, standing before somebody else without his army, having fought and, and been behind him to defend him? Can you imagine the, the president of the United States going someplace else and the Secret Service say, have a good time? I don't think so. I don't think so. If the president of the United States was coming to Methuen, Mass., we would have every inch of this town combed for any possibility of snipers. Everybody's life in this area would be investigated, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying all of that so you get the picture of what's really happening. We read it in English. He comes and he says, you know, are you king of the Jews? No big deal. Yes, it was. Pilate's looking at him and saying, it's you? Something doesn't line up. That's why you're going to get the comments that come in just a moment. What had happened? Jesus' followers were scattered. They weren't with him. In fact, isn't it interesting, you and I have just learned that when one of his servants, Peter specifically, sliced off the ear of somebody and Jesus healed it, he squelched the rebellion. He says, that's not the way we operate. That is not the way a normal king operates, see? He was different. He didn't see it. That, by the way, is the problem that the Jews faced that's one of the problems that Pilate faced. Let me give it to you early. And that's one of the problems that people today in the 21st century face. What is that? They look at Jesus Christ, or they hear about Jesus Christ, and they say, he's the Messiah? By the way, the answer is yes, he is. But it's not what men want. The Jews wanted somebody that was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government and be a physical religious leader. People today, even with all the religions that are going along the world today, and I'll come back to that one as well, they want what they want as a leader. And sometimes we don't even recognize what we need. What man needs is a savior. And that's what was before Pilate. It was the savior of the world. It was the king of kings who you will see will have an earthly kingdom. He is the Lord of lords. In fact, let me give you a little glimpse of that now. Go with me to Revelation chapter 19. Last book in your Bible. Chapter 19. And verse 16. And by the way, we had the response of reading this morning. I know you have all been with me when I preached through the book of Revelation in the evening, so you all understood chapter 5 very well. Right? Sure. Okay. Revelation 19. Okay, here we go. Verse 16, very quickly. This is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. I'll refer to that later, but I want you to see this now. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. One day he will come back as the conquering king. <clears throat> That's why we're looking for the second coming. He is the king of kings. He rightly is called the king. And one day, I want you to turn to one other passage. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Can you imagine this day coming for Pilate? Put it in perspective to our text. Philippians chapter 2. Well, you know what? I'm going to go back 
Bear with me. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, watch, did not regard equality with God, hold on to that one for this morning, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, how did he do that? By taking on the form of a bond servant and be, being made in the likeness of men. We were created in the image and likeness of God. God himself took on the likeness of a man. That's why you've got Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's why you've got a virgin birth. That's why you've got somebody that was born of the Holy Spirit. He took on that which was not common to him. Watch. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient, what? To the point of death. We are in the text where that's about to happen. Even the death of a cross. Watch. For this reason also, God, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And watch this. So that the name of Jesus, every, what's your Bible say? Every knee will bow those who are in heaven in case i don't know what every means and those on the earth there isn't any place else folks heaven or earth or under the earth and that every tongue another way of putting that is <coughs> from the lips of everyone will confess that jesus christ is what lord to the glory of god the father this was the opportunity for Pilate. Pilate's got before him the king of kings. He looks at him in mockery and says, you're the king? And the one day is going to come in which even, we're not that far in the text yet this morning, but even in which this man who would wash his hands, as we will learn later on, and say, I am innocent of this blood, no doing. God started everything that went on and one day that man himself will kneel and bow down to the God of creation, the King of kings. And he will confess with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And don't you kid yourself today. You can be here and curse with his name. You can say you want nothing to do with him. You can say that he's nothing more than a mere myth or a man or whatever you want to think, but I guarantee you, as sure as you're going to face death, you will bow before the King of Kings and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do it later, it's because you're about to find out that hell is a real place. If you do it now, you can walk with him. Pilate himself has this opportunity. He's concerned with a threat. By the way, that's why the question, go back to our text. Are you king of the Jews? Is it you? Jesus answered, why did he do this? Are you saying this of your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? He's not going to deny that he's king, obviously from the text. He wants clarification. Was this a real concern <coughs> of him? that he was going to be overthrown, or was it curiosity because he wanted to know the truth? And that is the reality of people that you and I rub shoulders with every day. Some people talk about religion. Some people talk about church. Some people talk about God. Some people talk about Jesus Christ, and they're just talking about it for the sake of talking about it. Others really want to know the truth, and they're curious, and that's what Jesus Christ wants to know of him. Are you really curious to know the truth? 
or is it just somebody told you that and you're concerned about the threat that would overthrow your government? That's why the response of Pilate again, it puts it back in its context. He turns around and lets him know that it's not out of curiosity, he's out of concern. Why? Because he says to him, Pilate answers, I am not a Jew, am I? In other words, the Jews are the ones that are looking for this Messiah, I'm not. I'm just concerned whether you're going to overthrow the government, that's all. And so he turns around with that type of question. But notice what he says to him. What have you done? He can't find anything. He looks at him and he says, this guy can't be a king. There's nobody following him. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like he's going to overpower me. He doesn't seem to be a threat. What have you done? They can't accuse you of everything. Jesus doesn't stop there. He admits to exactly what's going on and wants him to be assured that he is a king and he's got a kingdom. What's the kingdom? Verses 36 and 37. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting for me. Isn't that true of anybody that's a leader? The leaders would be behind them. They'd put down their life. I mean, the, the followers. In order to be a king, you have to have followers. They're going to fight for you, right? He says, there's nobody here fighting. And that is why. He says, so that I would be handed over by the Jews. But it is, as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. What do you mean of this realm? Now, this is a tough one for us because we live in a material world. <coughs> and we see the material, the temporal. And that's what we look at. And that's one of the problems that man has today. Because we have that, we don't look beyond it. You know, I challenge, this is the truth before the Lord, I challenge, I try to do this with all my children. I'll do it with my grandchildren. I try to do it with every student that I teach in high school. You ask them and they'll tell you. I have one word for them. Do I have any students in here? I don't even know. But if I do, or have you ever been in my class, what is that one word? Anybody got it? I guess I don't have any students here. It's think. I do want you to think. The more you think, the more not only smarter you'll become, but the more you will realize what the truth is. We want to think. You want to be a thinker. What happens is we look at this realm and we think that that's all there is. And yet we have the reality of doctors who even in the medical profession look at some things and say, I've studied all my life, I've done everything, and I don't have an explanation for why this happened. We have scientists that are brilliant people. They get degrees. They've earned them. They've studied. They've looked at experience. I don't put them down at all. They're brilliant people. But they still look at the universe and they say, I still can't explain some things. I don't know why. Now make it simple. It's true with you and I. We can hear all these things and study, but we know that while we live in the material world, there is a spiritual will. You say, well, I don't see it. That's because you're not thinking. I'm not looking at the real you. You're not looking at the real me. That's the material part of us. We know there's an immaterial part of us. We know that within us, there's a conscience. We know that within us is the real us that makes up our personality and everything that we are. And we know that. You see, it's just not a material world. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. We're always concerned, and if you really want me to make it relevant even to today with the election, we think by whoever is in office and so forth, that's what we want. We want lower gas prices, and I'm for that. We want a better economy, I'm for that. And we think we're going to get the right people in. Listen, that's all material. This is all temporary. Reality is, you want reality? We know we're alive, and we know we are going to die. And then you will face eternity. 
and so will I. Then, and that's what Jesus Christ is saying. Why? Because the first time he came, the first time he came, he came as a savior, a humble servant that went to the cross. Why? Because you and I are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. That's why. And there's not a, a boy, a girl, a man or a woman in this room that does not know in their heart that they're a sinner. Oh, you might not be as bad, quote unquote, as somebody else, but you violated the law of God. You know in your conscience there's more to life than what you're looking at. Why? Because God's given a conscience to every person. Well, how do I save myself? You can't. Maybe if I go to Fellowship Bible Church, this church can't save you. No church can. No religion on the face of the earth can save you. No other person can save you. Uncle, aunt, cousin, uncle, uh, I just repeated him. Whoever else, none of them. No religious person, a rabbi, a minister, a priest, no. The only one that could save us was God himself. That's why you have the text. Look at what Jesus Christ says. You get down to verse 37. He says, you have said correctly, I am a king. Now watch, this is the only text, by the way, so you have it for your own information. This is the only place in scripture that Jesus Christ said this. He said, for this reason, I have been born. No place else in scripture does he say he was born. What do you mean he was born? He came in his flesh, but he doesn't stop there. He also says this, for this reason I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. You say, well, doesn't it mean the same thing? No. We've already seen that. You're in the Gospel of John. Go back to John chapter 3 for one second, just for a second. Remember we learned this together? In John chapter 3, look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, Watch, but he who descended from heaven, who's that? The son of man. Watch this. <clears throat> As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so, or even so, must the son of man, this is Jesus Christ, be lifted up. Why? So that whoever believes in him, what? Will have eternal life. And then you get the famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. You see, Jesus Christ, this is talking about pre-existence back in chapter 18. Yes, I was born physically. The birth of Jesus Christ was no different from any one of my children or grandchildren. It was a physical birth. The conception was supernatural. It was God that came into the world. And that's what he says. I was sent here for a purpose. My kingdom is not of this realm. Why? Because he came to save people to be with him for all eternity. We know there's another realm. How do we get there? Only God can get us there. Why? Because we're all sin and we are out of God's presence now. We can't go into his presence unless he brings it back to us. And the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. He came. Jesus Christ recognized and wanted them to see beyond the physical to recognize that there is a spiritual realm, to recognize as human beings we are finite. There is an infinity. There, there has to be an eternal. Pilate was only concerned for his empire. Most of us, if we're honest, are only concerned with this life. Why would we be that stupid? I'm being honest. We know we're going to die. We're leaving this life. When we want to have something or have information, God came and revealed it. 
And that's what he's saying. This is not imaginary. It's real. The nature, the source, the methods, the structure, and everything else about the realm or the kingdom of Jesus Christ is beyond this world and is without human origin. He's established it. He set it up. Man didn't set it up. Man didn't establish the kingdom for Jesus Christ. And yet, while it's spiritual, it will be on this earth. I want you to go with me to the book of Revelation for a couple of minutes here quickly. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5 where we were in our responsive reading. <clears throat> I want you to see this. You say, well, I'm not, you know, interested in the spiritual. You had better be because you are going to die. You say, well, I'm interested in something on this earth. Well, that's where the kingdom will eventually be. You say, it'll eventually be on earth? Yes, Jesus Christ came to die to save sinners now. And when that relationship is right with God, we have entrance into the kingdom of God. You say, but that's really not material. It will later on, when he comes back, be on this earth. Revelation chapter 5, notice verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign where? Upon the earth. That's future. Verse 13, and you find the creatures following down to worship him, but notice this. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. How long? Forever. And how long? Ever. What does that mean? Guess what? Forever. You mean it doesn't mean something else? No, it means exactly what it says. When he says, I give unto them eternal life, he means eternal. He means forever. And eventually, it'll be here on earth. You say, well, that's just one passage. Really? Go with me quickly to Revelation chapter 20. Just stay with me a second this morning. <clears throat> Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of, uh, for Jesus and because of the word of God. People have been persecuted for that throughout the ages. And notice this. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Where was that reign? On the earth, folks. You look at the rest of it. That's part of the first resurrection. Go with me to chapter 21. Look at verse 1. And I saw, watch this, a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, don't take your theology from the movies. Don't worry about 2012. If you want to watch the movie and enjoy it, that's fine. But guess what? If the Lord's going to have the world end in 2012, it isn't because of Hollywood. Okay? But this world is coming to an end, and he is going to change it. And people have made movies. Do you ever think about that? Why do they make these movies, Armageddon and all this stuff and so forth? Where do they get the concept from? The scriptures. Because they know it's coming. But watch this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There's no longer any sea. Watch this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the voice of him, uh, the voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. That is literally what it means when Jesus Christ came. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among them. The Greek word means he tabernacled. He lived among us. 
This is going to come to the earth. Look at verse 10. It's a holy city. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high place in the mountain and showed me something to the future. What was it? <coughs> the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Eventually, folks, this is a, a lot in theology right now, but eventually this world is going to be changed and heaven will end up on earth, if you will. So we'll, there will be an earth. But it's after everything else gets purged. What in the meantime? Jesus Christ, go back to our text, offers eternal life. That's what he was saying. He was saying that he was the king in verse 36. But his kingdom was not of this realm. Why? Because he had to take care of the spiritual aspect first. That which we know in our hearts. We cannot atone for our own sin. We can't do enough good works. That was my concept. Listen. We are getting close, or we're into, right now, you're getting close to Easter and so forth. And many of you have heard this term, the Lenten season. And when I was growing up as a young boy for Lent, quote unquote, we used to do certain things. We wouldn't eat meat or we wouldn't eat candy. That was a mistake. We wouldn't do certain things and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. Why? In honesty, because first of all, I didn't know why. I was told I had to do it, so I did it. But honestly, we were trying to win favor with God. We would do certain things hoping to win favor. Look it, you can't. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. The only one who can do anything about it is Jesus Christ because God sent him. Why would he send him? Why couldn't somebody else do it? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And that came right down to where Pilate was. Look at our text. He says, I came in for this purpose. What? To testify to the truth. Verse 37. And you know, isn't it interesting? We're in the 21st century. And isn't it true that still today, everybody's asking the same question that Pilate asked? In verse 38, he says, what is truth? Today, we are living in 2012 where people are saying the very same thing. What is truth? There is no truth. It's truth what you want to make it be. Are you that foolish? There's no truth. You don't think you're going to die? Is that a truth? Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's you don't think two and two equal four, that's a truth? You may want to believe anything, and people may want to come up with rules that they want to be politically correct. But you and your heart know that there has to be right and wrong, because if I left you alone, your conscience would tell you how to live and what you can do and what you can't do. You don't have to have somebody around and you steal something. You think you're hiding it, and you know in your heart this isn't right. You know it. Nobody has to be with you. You're doing something wrong and you know it. You're just hoping you don't get caught. Why? Because there is truth. And in this particular case, Jesus Christ said this. We already studied it in chapter 14. I am the way. I am the what? Truth. I'm the truth. What do you mean the truth? I came from heaven to disclose the glory of God. And he was, you notice, he came to testify of the truth. What is the truth? that there is judgment coming, that heaven is real, that hell is real, that death is real, and that you can't save yourself because not of works lest any man should boast. There is no one that's ever going to get to heaven and said, what a great job I did to get here. Sorry, you can never atone for your sin. The one that atoned for sin was Jesus Christ. He is the truth. 
And that's what he came to say. Notice the rest of the verse that I quoted. No man or no one, literally, can come unto the Father except it be through me. Why? He's the door. He's the entrance. And that's what man doesn't want to hear. And that's what Pilate didn't want to hear. Isn't it interesting in this text, verse 38, Pilate never waited for the answer. He raised the question, what is truth? And before Jesus could say anything further, who he's already taught us in chapter 14, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. My Father does exist. The only way back to the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. He doesn't wait for the answer. But isn't it interesting what he says in verse 38? He said to them, what? I find no guilt in him. Right there, everything should have been done. Here you've got the most powerful man in Jerusalem at the time. Oh, you've got Caesar. But Pilate's the governor. He's got the right. They couldn't accuse him of anything. He's already examined him and says he's guiltless. He's not guilty. I can't, I can't sentence him to death. In other words, it should have been cases over, dismissed, get out of my face. That's what he told them before. You go judge him. There's no grounds. But we're going to see that he doesn't. And he's just been confronted. And here it is, an enemy that turns around and says, now I find no guilt. This guy's innocent. And what has he told them? He's told them that he has a kingdom, and his kingdom is not of this world. Well, let me close with this, because time has gone away from us. You might be asking the same question. What is truth? Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. And just as sure as you're breathing God's air today, you will face your maker. I don't know every one of you in this room. I don't know where 99.9, .9, actually probably 100% of your thinking is this morning. I don't care how long you've been coming to this church. I don't know what's going on in your heart and mind. You do. God does. And I also don't know this, whether or not this is your last opportunity on this earth to hear the truth. For Pilate, that was it. And I'll give you absolute truth. Philippians 2. The day is going to come that Pilate will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Why? Because God said it will happen. And the truth of the matter is, you and I will face death. And guess what? When that comes, there's no crying mummy. There's no trying to get out of it. All your money won't mean anything. All of your toughness in the world means little, nothing. You're leaving it all behind. And you'll be brought into the presence of the creator of the universe. And you might have gone through this world cursing with the name of the Lord, but you will never forget this day. Because this was your opportunity to hear that Jesus Christ is Lord. This was your opportunity to admit before God in your heart that I can't save myself. No religion can do it. I accept your son that you sent, Jesus Christ. Why? He came from God. He came for the purpose to testify to the truth. 
He came for the purpose of going to the cross. That is why he's going to go to the cross. Guilty? Guilty? No. Jews couldn't find him guilty. Guilty before Pilate? No. And yet he's going to the cross. Why? That the innocent would bear the penalty of the guilty, and that includes me, and it includes you. And that he would be cursed on that tree and die and pay the penalty for our sin because the wages of sin is death. But there's a contrast. The gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God. A gift is a gift. You can't earn heaven. You can't buy it. You either receive it or reject it. The gift of God is eternal life to as many as will believe on the Son. He is the King of Kings. He died that death, but he's coming back in glory. And there will be a kingdom on this earth that he will lead. The only ones that will be there are those that have trusted in him. Pilate blew his opportunity. What about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father in God, I thank you and praise you that you've opened up the heart of people in this room so that we've come to the place to believe that Jesus Christ is the one that you sent, who you sent into the world as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the deliverer, the only one who could be the perfect sacrifice for sin. Father, we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you demonstrated it in dying on a cross and being raised from the dead that we might have victory through Christ. Pilate wanted to know the truth. There's no question in my heart and mind that people want to know the truth. But, Father, there it is. Your love was expressed in sending your son that people would believe on him, have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. For some, there's many opportunities for that to be heard. For some, only one. Father, help us not to try to play Russian roulette with the word of God. Help us to realize, as we know we can in truth, by thinking and realizing that we are human beings that will one day leave this world and have to face our Creator. Help us to accept and to believe your message of salvation is provided through Jesus Christ, that we might take advantage of the opportunity you give us, so that we might live a life, even as we sung about this morning, that's pleasing to you. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name.